Hey, hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Hey, if you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard. As a reminder, this coming Sunday, June the 30th, we will not be worshiping together at our facility, but instead we will be gathering at 10 o'clock, breaking up into smaller groups, and we'll be heading out around the Mid-City community to serve our community together. So if you're in the area, uh, we invite you to join us. 10 o'clock, we'll be meeting over at 3222 Canal Street and then heading on out. Uh, this past week, our conversation revolved around uh, an understanding or a, a deeper looking into sin, a deeper looking into confession, uh, and ultimately, what does it mean to really, truly be healed by Christ. And so this is a pretty pretty fun conversation we had uh, based out of John chapter 8, uh, starting with the first verse. And uh, hope you enjoy this. Much peace to you. Let's head on over to the conversation. We're going to be in John. We're going to start with John chapter 8 uh, this morning. And in John chapter 8, the text reads like this. It says, Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all of the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now they were using this question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, How about this? Let the first one of you who has no sin in his life be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he began to write on the ground. And at this, those who heard the words of Jesus began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So a couple of thoughts today um, to start. A couple of thoughts for you on, on the actual thought of sin. There, there have been over... Uh, over so much time, there have been these thoughts and ideas about what what is sin. The actual word in the Greek means to, to the word sin means to miss the mark. And so it's almost like you're you're aiming for a particular thing and and you're you're missing it. Kind of like uh, in archery. You, you, and you've probably heard this before, but in archery, you know, to sin is to miss the mark. You're aiming for the bullseye, you're missing it. Another definition that I have heard and used that I have found to be very useful would be sin is the disruption of shalom. 
Now keep in mind, shalom is the idea. Shalom is the target. Shalom is where we're headed. Shalom is not just peace, but it's wholeness. It's completeness. The, the ancient Hebrew word for shalom is that we would find wholeness and completeness and oneness in God. And so anything that disrupts, anything that kind of that, that moves us away from that, that place of peace and rest and completeness and wholeness with God, that is disruption of shalom. So in that particular definition, shalom is not just, or I'm sorry, sin is not just a wrongful act, which many of us might have been taught along the way. A sin is something that you do wrong, missing the mark. But couldn't sin not also be the kinds of things that disrupt shalom? It's, it's, it's in the whole system of things, sin being those things that separate us or disconnect us from God, so to speak. And there are all kinds of things that disconnect us from God, whether it's poverty or systems of poverty or, or illness or disease or abuse. Or, I mean, there are all these kinds of things that are sinful patterns that it could be someone else's sin inflicted upon us. It could be our own doing. The question could be asked, is sin something that needs to be punished or is sin something that needs to be healed? Because if sin is something or anything that disrupts the shalom, then maybe people don't need so much to be punished for sin as they need to be healed of sin, so to speak. I would suggest that we don't need punishment. But what we need, what we're in deep need of, is healing. Which is interesting, because Jesus is known as the great healer throughout the scriptures. The great physician. If you begin to think, as, as I do, of sin more as a disease than uh, wrongful behaviors then you begin to realize that sin as a disease does certain things to you. It robs from you. It can destroy you. It steals. It looks to kill. It brings about painful patterns. I mean, it, it's anything that kind of wedges its way to disconnect us from wholeness and peace and communion with God. So what happens is we find this woman. Now, this is a very fascinating thing. Uh, I don't know if you can see this picture. This was one of one of the pictures, because uh, I was just Googling this image, John chapter 8, on the Internet. And I, the truth is no artist could probably really, in a, in a PG version, depict this particular drawing. It says that she was caught in the act. And she was brought to Jesus like these men had taken her wherever she was from the act and brought her out in front of Jesus. So the chances that she's missing clothing and all these things are, are pretty good, and she's been thrown down in front of Jesus. And the law says that if a woman is caught in this particular act, she must be stoned, killed, right there on the spot. And Jesus bends down. I, I don't know what he's writing. I, I, scholars... It's fun to play with it. I have no idea. Nobody has any idea. But he bends down. Some people are like, maybe he's writing all the men that are standing around. Maybe he's writing their names. 
or maybe he's writing their sins. Uh, who knows? Well, I don't know what he's doing. But his words, hey, look, here's what we'll do. We're going to stone her. Like, let's, let's go ahead and follow through on the law. Let's, let's do what the law says. But here's how we're going to do it today. The only person that gets to throw a stone at her is the one who hasn't been disconnected in any way from God. And they have to be honest in their own hearts. And they're like, oh, okay. All right. And so they turn around one at a time. And Jesus looks down at the woman. And I, you, you, you have to, and I, I want to encourage you even this week, maybe take John chapter 8 in a, in a meditative way. Maybe, maybe you could practice a, a particular type of reading, imaginative reading, where you read this text and, and allow yourself to picture this scene over and over again. Because these these men have walked away. And the woman is on the ground. And can you imagine her looking up at Jesus and Jesus saying, looks like no one here is throwing any stones. It looks as though no one has condemned you. Where are your accusers? And she says, they're, they're gone. And then Jesus looks her in the eye and he says, you know what? I don't condemn you either. So go from this place and live a life of sin no more. One of the translations here that I've read is that Jesus is saying, in a sense, listen, the life that you're leading, it's not good for you. So leave it behind and get in on a better life. Get in on life that leads to fullness. Get in on the life that leads to peace. Get in on the life that leads to the pathway of light. Get in on a richer, fuller life. Listen, here's the thing. I don't condemn you. Matter of fact, Jesus, I would suggest that Jesus never at any point condemned this woman. She was always forgiven. She was simply on the wrong path. She was stuck in this place of, of brokenness. And she was stuck in this place of hurt. Who knows why she was doing the things that she was doing? Who knows why any of us do the things we do? <laughs> you know, but we get caught up. We get caught up in this addiction or that addiction. We get caught up in this thought process or that thought process. Sometimes, I mean, honestly, sometimes it stretches back. We're in our 40s, we're in our 50s, and sometimes that crap stretches all the way back to when we were just children. And this stuff, it, it's, it's, it's got these lingering effects. And Jesus is the great healer that says, listen, there's this thing, and it's always the thing behind the thing. Have you ever noticed that in your life? There's like the thing, but there's always a thing behind the thing. We don't just turn to a particular addiction because we like that thing. There's always the thing behind the thing that leads. And Jesus is like, that's what I want to touch. That's what I want to start to bring healing to. The most amazing thing to me in this is that Jesus is looking at her and he says, hey, look, the thing you're doing, it's hurting you. It's, it's, it's bad for you. It's painful to your soul and to your body. So listen, I don't condemn you for this. Just go and be at peace and live free and walk away from 
there's this thing about forgiveness. We, we have this small group going right now uh, uh, on Tuesday nights where a, a group of us, about eight or nine of us, are studying this book together. And there's this recurring theme that keeps coming up. How does confession and repentance and forgiveness work? And it's debated every, every, every week we've been together. I think we're three or four weeks into the study. And, you know, some people are like, well, you don't have to ask for forgiveness because you're already forgiven. Some people say, no, the only way to be forgiven is to ask for forgiveness. And it, it kind of bounces around and around and around. It's a really fun conversation. I land in a particular place on this. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that when, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Colossians 1.22, it says that Christ died that we might be reconciled to God. I come from an understanding that no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you are, no matter how repentant you are, you are already forgiven. You're already forgiven. Like Christ has, has, has forgiven you. Christ's love for you surpasses anything that you can ever wrap your mind around. That woman was already forgiven. She was already forgiven. Before they even dragged her out, she was already forgiven. And yet when she's there, it was this, this moment that she recognizes that forgiveness and begins to move into living into the reality of that forgiveness. And her healing, it's a, it's, it's a process of healing, but the healing begins to come to her through the gaze of Christ. Through the gaze of of Christ, Jesus gazes upon her, passes no judgment, and offers healing. Now, I would suggest that that is something that is missing for many of us today, is opportunities to actually sit with Christ and allow the love of Christ the eyes of Christ, to gaze upon us, that it might not just be, listen, I know up here I'm forgiven or I'm being healed, but to actually experience the richness of Christ's love as Christ <coughs> looks upon us and says, listen, I don't, I don't condemn you for whatever you did 30 years ago. I don't condemn you for that divorce. I don't condemn you for that abortion. I don't condemn you for that addiction. I don't condemn you for whatever it might be. I just want you to know that you're forgiven and you're deeply loved. You're accepted. And I want to bring healing where you've experienced the pain. I want to bring healing and wholeness and completeness in this area. And then some have said, well, I mean, if I'm, if I'm already forgiven, then why don't I just keep doing whatever I've been doing and just keep coming back and living in that forgiveness? Which is such a really great question. That one comes up at our small group every week also. In Romans chapter 6, somebody else must have asked that question uh, before a small group from Mid-City Vineyard in 2019. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, well, what should we say then? I mean, should we just keep on sinning since we're already forgiven? Should we just keep on sinning so that grace can 
keep being increased? And he says, no, this is ridiculous. He says, we are those who have actually died to, to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. What Paul is saying is, listen, anyone who has this attitude of, well, I can sin because I'm already forgiven, and I can sin because I'm already forgiven, is missing out on the entire message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is that there is a new type of, different type of life that you are invited into. And it's the kind of life where shalom is not being disrupted. It's a kind of life where you can experience peace. Even in the midst of all the chaos, there's a peace, an internal, interior type of peace that, you, that Christ wants to invite us to experience. And anyone who really connects with this and recognizes this knows that sin in our lives is the disruption of shalom. It's the thing that keeps getting us sideways. It's the thing that keeps throwing us and messing us up. And so Jesus just continues to say, I want to keep bringing healing. I want to keep bringing healing to this so that you can further experience more life and the beauty of it. I've, been, I've invited you to walk in the healing, so now press into it. And listen... It doesn't always happen like this. I think about, um, I think about friends who are part of uh, AA, you know. And so there's there's a healing process that is taking place, but you know what happens is, it's a lifetime journey. I mean, uh, my friends who are really committed to the program have a community of people with them, and it's an ongoing process of meeting with. Their, their, their sponsor and working through uh, the big book and working through the steps and doing all these things, but it's year after year after year after year after year. But that's, that, so it's, this is not just, oh, I'm healed, and so now I, I never struggle anymore with anything. No, I mean, this, this woman herself, I don't know if it was adultery, if it was prostitution, if she was trying to pay the bills, if she, I don't know what she was doing, but whatever she was doing, I mean, if it was prostitution and she was trying to, 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 to provide for herself, and Jesus was like, listen, that's no good for you. Go and sin no more. I mean, okay, thanks, Jesus, but what do I do for work now? I mean, I still need money. So if you're not handing it out, do you see that? And so what does she, what does she need? There's more to it, and we don't get the rest of the story, but she needs people. She needs people who love her, people who accept her. She needs community. She needs to be walking in that on an, on, an, on an everyday basis. She needs a support system. She needs people. Which would then lead, I think, there is, there is one more piece to the whole puzzle that some have asked about. Well, if I'm already forgiven, then, uh, you know, do I, do, I, do I need to ask for forgiveness or do I need to say what's going on and all these kinds of things and and so what about what about the idea of confession you know for those of you who grew up catholic you have one thought of confession you would you would go to confession you would get into the booth you would tell the priest whatever it was and then the priest so that you could be forgiven would give you your penance You'd have your Hail Marys and your, uh, what were your other things? Our your Our Fathers and your Hail Marys. And they weren't always nice about it. And they weren't always nice about it. But it was weird because you'd confess, 
and then you'd be given your thing, and you would go do your thing, and then you'd be forgiven. Well, I, whereas I, I, I fall on completely other, the other side, I think you're already forgiven. It doesn't matter how many Our Fathers, how many Hail Marys, or how many you don't say. You're already forgiven in the eyes of Christ. So what's the purpose of confession then? Because some people, I, some people are like, well, I, I'm done with that. I don't need to do that. It's interesting, though, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, this is what the Apostle John says. 1 John 1, 9. And this is what John says. He says, listen, now, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we understand sin more as a disease, something that has affected us, something that has worked its way in us. John would be saying, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to bring about healing in our lives, to purify us from all unrighteousness. I believe today that for us, confession is a way towards healing. Confession is a way towards healing. Think about this. Let's go back to AA for a minute. What do you do when you go to AA or if you go to NA or if you go to any kind of... My name is Brian and I am an alcoholic. That is a confession. That is a statement of confession. And it's, it, what it does is it disarms. It, it, brings, it brings the whole thing to the place of, look, there's, there's no more facade here. This is just, I'm laying it bare. This is what it is. And then everyone says, everyone, you're welcome here. This is your place. We are your people. This is exactly how the church should be, by the way. This is your place. We are your people. I walk with a limp. You walk with a limp. We all walk with a limp. We're all on a journey towards healing. We're all looking for more of Christ in our lives. But to confess, for most of us, it breaks, it begins to break down the power of whatever that thing is. It could be your ego. It could be pornography. It could be an addiction to lying or cheating. It could be any, it could be something that you just sense, you know, it could be just, um, bad thought processes, whatever it is, but whatever it is that's disconnecting you from the wholeness and the peace and the love of Christ, it's something that Jesus would say, listen, I don't condemn you for this at all, but I do want you to know it's hurting you. It's stealing life from you, and I have more for you. I have more for you. So I want to encourage you. You can stay in it if you want, or you can leave it behind and experience more fullness of life. The choice is yours. Either way, you're forgiven. But I want you to know there's more. There's something more beautiful. There's something better for you. There's a healing component there. I don't know what your experience with with that is, really, confession, but I, I would encourage everyone to... To, as, as Christ is moving in your heart and moving in your life, when you realize 
that there is something that has just got you stuck and it's disconnecting you from that peace, from that shalom. Where is a friend? Where is someone that you can say, hey, listen, you know, I, <laughs> I don't want you to bust my chops. <laughs> I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to try to fix me. I don't want you to give me Bible verses. <laughs> I just want to tell you what's going on because it's good for my own soul. And I think that Christ can use that to bring about peace in my own life and healing in my own heart. <clears throat> that topped with allowing that gaze of Christ. That might sound really funny to you, but there are actually, I've, I've actually experienced in, in my personal prayer model, prayer time, there's a, a part of my prayers um, when I pray, that I actually take moments at a time to simply allow myself to sit with Jesus. That's what, that's what I call it in my prayer time, sitting with Jesus. And it's not asking for anything, not dialoguing. It's just a, a, an imaginative style of prayer in my mind's eye of sitting with Jesus and allowing that, that gaze to just be what brings peace and mercy and grace forgiveness because the more the more you sit in that space of understanding that you're fully loved and you're fully accepted that in and of itself brings healing it's kind of like when you're with someone that you love it doesn't have to be talking but there can just be sitting and presence is incredibly powerful but allowing ourselves to slow down long enough to experience presence with God Thank you.